0: Oh, good evening. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? My guest today is Dr. Mandy Elliott. Mandy likes chips and hates the patriarchy. We're colleagues at Booth University College, where we both teach English and film studies. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Alfred Hitchcock.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited.
0: I know you love Hitchcock, but there's this like backstory that I am so excited to find out. (laughs) Tell me about your grandma and Alfred Hitchcock.
1: My grandma, well, she loved Alfred Hitchcock. She, um, She didn't... Believe in censorship, so she had no problem with with us watching whatever we wanted. And we would spend a lot of time at her house after school and on the weekends. And we would all just want to watch Hitchcock movies. My sister and I would would ask for them. My grandma had this this um, really expansive collection of Hitchcock VHS tapes, uh, which now my sister and I have have. Uh, divided amongst ourselves and we would just choose a Hitchcock movie and sit and watch them with her. And, um, I think half of my time was divided between watching the, the film and watching my grandma's reaction because she loved suspense so much, so much so that every time something happened, she would say suspense. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, there would be much rejoicing because <laughs> we were so excited. And so we started with um, with Hitchcock's American phase. So we watched a lot of Rear Window, The Birds, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho. Um, those really great ones, um, and also Dial M for Murder quite a bit because Grandma loved Raymond and so we also loved Raymond Land. So. <laughs> Ray Moland is awesome. I know. What's not to love? He's so good. He's so good. I don't know. And Dialing for Murder, he's just delightfully diabolical. So. Yes. We loved it. That's a
0: great, that's a great underrated Hitchcock film. I
1: People agree.
0: don't talk about it. No. Um, but it's a really good film.
1: It is. And I was shocked to, to remember that it was made in 1954. Um, I thought it was earlier, but it's, it's actually made in 1954. And, and uh, it's so scandalous. And I love it. Um, and that's, I mean, I partly love it because my grandma also uh, would point out the, the risque bits in these movies, which she would not censor. And you have to remember, my sister and I were quite young when we started watching these, these movies. My partner makes fun of me all the time. How old? Oh, I mean, probably like eight or nine, <laughs> quite young. Um, I remember well my partner makes fun of me because when Silence of the Lambs came out uh, grandma wanted us to watch it with her and we were children watching Silence of the Lambs and and so
0: but suspense it's
1: suspense yeah Um, so so she loved it and uh, yeah she would always point out the risque bits mostly to my sister Uh, my younger sister if somebody was kissing yeah, or the younger one of course yeah or i remember like watching frenzy with all the nudity she would you know want my sister to cover her eyes but she never really cared if i saw it <laughs> like she was she was totally fine with me seeing all the risque bits all the sexy bits but she would make a big deal about my sister seeing it um
0: well you were older how much older than your sister are you
1: <laughs> almost 2 years so wow not much
0: (laughs) maturity
1: (laughs) yeah i guess but yeah it's so strange and and the thing is she didn't really care about the violence um my sister was saying uh, a while ago she remembered my grandma sort of you know covering her eyes in the birds if if mitch and melanie were getting amorous but Um, You know, the scene where where um, Jessica Tandy's character goes to the farm and the man has had his eyes gouged out by the Mm -hmm. birds. Grandma loved that scene and insisted we watch it several times. And so my sister feels like she's scarred (laughs) because she saw this, you know, eyeless dead man in this movie. But, you know, she couldn't watch the kissing.
0: No. No. Well, we we often prioritize the violence um at the exclusion <laughs> of the romantic. Uh,
1: that that happens. That happens. It's odd that my grandma did though because she was just so of the opinion that children should be aware of everything. So, <laughs> I think it was You're, more like a a little fun joke for her than anything.
0: Your grandma sounds awesome.
1: Oh, she was so awesome. And hilarious.
0: I want to go back to something you said earlier. So you and your sister divided the VHS tapes up between you. How did you decide who got what movie?
1: You know, I'm amazed that we're still friends. Actually,
0: did she get the birds so she could finally watch the kissing?
1: She she did get the birds, actually. She she needs to see the kissing. Yeah, she's. I mean, she has to catch up. Um, Yeah, I remember after my grandma passed, we we had a table um in my parents basement that had that was covered in vhs tapes and my sister and Mm. i could sort of take turns taking one um so we each got i mean we each now have a really great collection even though they're vhs and you know i've replaced many of them with (laughs) blu-rays now but i still have them i can't let go of them so yeah i'm proud of my collection that never gets watched
0: uh, I was up in my office the other day, and I I still have a a, a very nice widescreen VHS tape of Psycho that um oh. the, you know, collector's edition. I probably haven't taken it out of the the packaging in in you know, years, but and I have it on Blu-ray. But Psycho is one of those films that like I, I can't get rid of the box. Like it just there's something about the tape. I'm like I need to keep this for some reason. I have very yeah. weird fixations with with certain VHS tapes that i cannot get rid of
1: yeah they're part of our history
0: yeah yeah there's something tangible and concrete and firm about yeah. them
1: It's like
0: discs you have to be careful i
1: know and they seem so impersonal the 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 vision of those disney those puffy disney vhs cases just popped in my mind and how how yeah there's something really special about those puffy cases tactile, tactile yeah
0: so you want, you're watching mostly the American stuff. And, and I mean, what you, the the titles that you gave are some of the most known Hitchcock mm-hmm. films. So when do you start like looking at the British period or some of the lesser known stuff?
1: I was trying to remember, uh, when I started getting into that stuff. Uh, and I think it was when my sister and I were a little bit older. Um, she bought, she found a a collection of Hitchcock's, of a few of Hitchcock's British films in some sort of bargain basement sale. And she bought it. And, and among them was, um, the man who knew too much, the 1934 version with Peter Lorre. Um, and that's really, uh, that was, that was, it, it blew my mind. It's so good. And, um, we, an excellent yeah, film. we started getting into that one and the lady vanishes and the 39 steps. And, and uh, we just wanted more and more of, of the British ones because they're so different uh-huh. from, from the American ones and, and so much darker and so much more cynical in so many ways. Um, and so I think we, we kind of introduced our grandma to those ones, um, and, and she loved them so much so that she actually hunted down a copy of the number 17, uh, one of Ooh. Hitchcock's earliest, earliest uh, talkies. And uh, we watched it and she loved it. I don't
0: think I've seen that one.
1: It's so good. <laughs> it's very, very creepy. It's, it's really um, a heavily shadowed, um, really low light. It almost verges on horror.
0: Okay, all
1: right. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. But then my sister and I found a copy of The Farmer's Wife, one of Hitchcock's silent films, um, which grandma had been looking for. We found it and she watched it and declared it the most boring movie she'd ever seen. So, <laughs> so it was really hit and miss. <laughs>
0: oh, dear. Yeah, I've I've tried to go through some of the silent ones, um, and certainly the lesser known ones, uh, Mannix Man and, and Can't... Yeah, I can't I can't do it, especially um, my love is really the British films. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of where my heart lies, although I have a deep, deep, deep appreciation for the American stuff. Yeah, I mean, he he's able to to be kind of scandalous in a way that is um, palatable for audiences. Um, and it's yeah. it's so interesting to watch.
1: It's it's interesting knowing, too, that he wasn't as scandalous as he wanted to be. Um, I was just reading the other day that um, in, in psycho when we get that, that bedroom scene with um, with Janet Lee in the, in the bra and the sort of idea of the the white bra is when she's innocent. And the black bra is when she's, she's, you know, more guilty. uh, Hitchcock said she shouldn't have been wearing a bra at all because Mm. that's what the audience would have wanted. Um, So it, it was interesting to me that he was pushing boundaries, having, this major actress in her underwear. Um, And then he wanted to go beyond that, but of course (laughs) was not able to at the time. So um, yeah, he just, he was able to, to do these things again, rear window when Grace Kelly's character Lisa, brings an overnight case right to Mm -hmm. to LB Jeffrey's apartment and how scandalous that is. And considering who Grace Kelly was, I mean, I'm shocked that he could get away with that.
0: Well, And and he he incorporates it in the story in a way that you can see maybe why censors wouldn't pay, like he doesn't, he doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't make it a big deal. It's just, it's present and then moves the story along really quickly. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, you don't really realize all the implications of things that are going on in the, in the story until you watch the movies again and again. Um, But I mean, that rear window stuff is so good. Um, You know, where she's, her her comfort in in his apartment uh, is certainly notable. Very notable. As you have gone on and 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 discovered new new Hitchcocks or things that your your grandma hadn't exposed you to, and you you introduce her to to some of these films. W- which of the films are you really gravitating
1: towards? Oh, I mean, as oh, that's such a huge question because I love the British stuff too. Um, but I think Mm -hmm. as, as an American film scholar, I, I mean, I love the American films and I love incorporating them into my work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so right now I'm, I'm just starting preliminary research for um, to talk about Hitchcock's American women and, and their political allegiances. And um, there's, there's so much rich information there. And I, I think too, because I'm, I'm a feminist scholar and, and I care very deeply about gender roles. And I also know that Hitchcock um, was not necessarily the favorite among feminists. <laughs> I'm, I'm just fascinated in finding ways to really showcase the women in Hitchcock's American films and to, to show that their roles are, are maybe more important than one might think uh, the first time they see their films. Um, and I just, I mean, Rear Window will always be one of my favorite movies. That first shot of Grace Kelly, when we see her, her the close-up of her face, just—that's the shot I will always remember as being one of the shots that made me fall in love with Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just the way her face could fill the frame, and she could assert her presence. You know, she goes around his apartment, turning on lights as she says her name, as though the world gets brighter as they get to know her. It's just, it's the, the most three wonderful. names. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so Lisa good. Carol Fremont just turning on those yes. lights. Yes, it's, it's incredible. Yeah,
0: and as much as I love the the British the, the British films, um, maybe with the exception of Margaret Lockwood in Lady Vanishes, mm. no female character kind of has that central. Like, like it's not emphasized that in that important way um, that Grace Grace Kelly is in the in the American films.
1: Yeah, Margaret Lockwood, maybe. Um, oh shoot, I can't remember the actress's name who plays the mother in the Man Who Knew Too Much, um, the, the Marks person, Marks woman, um, which is pretty badass, by the way. Um, <laughs> it is. It's, yeah, I I love that. Um, but yeah, they, they don't have the same um, maybe longevity or gravitas as, as the American stars do. Perhaps because the American films by and large use pretty established um, stars. I mean, not to say that Margaret Lockwood isn't established, but, um, you know, Grace Kelly was a household name. Ehedrin um, uh-huh. was very, you know, she, she got to be quite famous, and, and Janet Lee, of course. and
0: Yeah. <clears throat> it sounds like an interesting project.
1: I hope so. <laughs>
0: um, I'm very excited to, to see it develop. In your work as a, as a film scholar and a film prof, you've mentioned bringing Hitchcock into the classroom. I'm curious about your experiences with that. Are there films that work better? Are there films that you've you know, disappointed by reactions um surprised pleasantly by reactions of students
1: yeah yeah um i'm always amazed that i show i often show rear window in my first year courses and it is always the favorite film at the end of the year mm. always i always ask my my film classes what their favorite movies were and and rear window is always the first um which surprises me so pleasantly um They just, they love it. And, and it's the only one um, where my first year students aren't like, oh, it's pretty good, even though it's old, you know, or they did a good job considering they didn't, you know, electricity didn't exist yet, or whatever, you know, anachronism (laughs) they come up with. Um, So (laughs) this rear window is the one where they're like, I was genuinely intrigued, I was surprised, I was in suspense. And nowhere do they do they ever mention, you know, that it's Old air quotes old, um, so that's that's always a positive. Um, but I remember showing Vertigo in one of my classes uh, maybe a year or two ago, and they did not like it, mm, <laughs> which yeah. really surprised me. Yeah, um, because Vertigo is so. I mean, I realized that it was not really loved when it first came out, but it's so beautiful and yeah. I think all of the stuff dealing with, with Carlotta Valdez and her past and, and you know, who is Madeline, uh, I think it's so fascinating and so intriguing. Um, and Barbara Bel Geddes is amazing, so I was very surprised. Um, but usually I try these things out on my partner first, um, and if he likes them, then I, then I think my students might, because he's very picky, so <laughs> I made him watch The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, on our anniversary <laughs> this year and he loved it. So
0: good. Which version
1: I'll have to show the next though. It's a 34. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: I don't understand why he remade that film. That's, you know I, know, I. one of the interesting things about Hitchcock is, um, he definitely has a preference for types of stories, the wrong man that, that gets reused a lot. Um, he doesn't remake films except for, for that one really. Um, But I'm always curious that like, that was the one he felt he needed to um, get into a different mindset and, and Americanize it. Um, It baffles me.
1: Yeah. Well, and part of me wonders if, if it is maybe because the, the 1934 version has, um, you know, the husband is sort of a, a, kept man, right? His wife is the one participating in the Olympics and she's the one with the, the life-saving skills. And, and um, I think in 1956 that, you know, James Stewart couldn't just be a know-nothing house husband, right? He had to be important. And, you know, we have Doris Day who gave up her international singing career to be a, an Indiana doctor's wife. So I, I think it definitely fits in line with more of what's expected in 1956. But yeah, I have no idea why Hitchcock would have done that unless, you know, just to make money because James Stewart and Dorsey um, yeah. were yeah. pretty pretty big stars. So.
0: Again, a, a difference in the American and British. In the British period, he doesn't go back to actors again. And there's some that I, I wish... He had like, I wish he'd use Michael Redgrave again. Michael Redgrave, is, I, I think just one of the unsung heroes of British cinema or, or um, Robert Donut in uh, 39 steps. Like just, yeah. he has these people that he's using, but unlike the British period or unlike the American period, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, where he's going back to people again, or even, I mean, you know, we can talk about his treatment of female actors, Um yeah as problematic but he definitely goes back to an archetype of the 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 blonde in the american period definitely that he doesn't have
1: in the british period so and i and i wonder how much of that um and i i wish i knew how much of that was was his conscious choice and how much of it was the business of hollywood um or or a combination of the, of the two so Yeah, I think he did use, didn't he use in in his British period, he had those two characters, Charters and Caldecott who were in The Lady Vanishes and I think they were in a couple other ones.
0: I don't think they're in anything else he does. um, They're in um, Carol Reed does a film called The Night Train to Munich, which is kind of a sequel, kind of not. Charters and Caldecott appear in that. They appear as characters or like whether they're called Charters in *Colicott* specifically, mm. they're in uh, *Dead of Night*, the the Ealing anthology horror film. Um, and there's, I think, on the Criterion *Lady Vanishes*, there's something called *Crooks Tour*, which I've actually never watched. It's, <laughs> I have the Criterion, but I've never watched that. Um, they pop up a bunch of times, and he kind of establishes them as this these characters, and then and then they kind of have a life of their own. Yeah, uh, which is
1: so fascinating to me. Yeah, that they, they cross universes.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And become kind of archetypal British characters.
1: A hundred percent. They even have a Twitter account.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they've started following me. And it's it's yes, kind of delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I made some comment about Chargers and Caldicott, um, and and suddenly they started following me. And I loved it. It's it's absolutely delightful. Oh yeah. If you're encouraging somebody who's never, they've heard of Hitchcock, but they've never really looked at it, they haven't watched old movies, where would you direct them? Where are you pointing them to?
1: Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I think I would start, I mean, professionally, I start with Rear Window. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really accessible film, uh, one that gives a good idea of what Hitchcock does, uh, but isn't you know one of those scary black and white films (laughs) that uh that for some reason turns people off but yeah I think that one that one's a good start I think The Lady Vanishes is an incredible place to start um it's just so rich and so the the chemistry between uh the two leads it's just beautiful um and uh yeah. And of of course the men who knew too much, but that's maybe a little bit less accessible to some, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I would, I would generally point people who are very new to Hitchcock to their, to his American catalog first and then work backwards.
0: What about the person who's seen some Hitchcock and you, you want to, you know, point them in something a little you know, a little different path or things that they haven't seen or even directors that are similar to Hitchcock, where would you?
1: That's a really good question. I would be interested in in pointing people toward his, his silent works. Like The Lodger would be a good place to start. Um, just to show um, that that suspense doesn't need to involve talking. Even though, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of sound and Bernard Herman's scores in Hitchcock's American work are amazing. They make the films. Um, but, I mean, Hitchcock himself loved silent film. And he said that if cinema is taught in universities, uh, students must first get a good grounding in the silent era um, because he said talking pictures brought the theater into studios uh, too much and that students... Uh, needed to know that the director had to also know how to do storyboards and edit, um, and you know do all the things that he would have had to do as a silent director. So I I feel like it's important for people to know his silent catalog as well. Directors like Hitchcock. Um, that's a really big question. Yes. Um, <laughs>
0: Um, I always I, go, um, I always go Clouseau, um, Henri George.
1: Oh, Clouzot. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's a, it's a good, the French ones are so good. I mean, a movie like Diabolique too is, is very Hitchcockian, even in terms of the, the murder and the hijinks together. Um, that kind of thing. I also think, um, Anna Lily Amirpour, who made *A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night*, is a she's a wonderful suspense director, mm. and I think uh, *A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night* is is one of my new favorite vampire movies. That is, um, it's about so much more, right? It's not just about uh, the shock or the scare, but it's about the development of of that thing, and that that reminds me of Hitchcock. Um, Just um, in terms of when he was interviewing uh, or when Francois Truffaut was interviewing Hitchcock, um, Truffaut uh, suggested the suspense is a dramatization of of film's narrative material full of these privileged moments. And I think um, to Truffaut, the privileged moments um, linger on the viewer's memory. um, And that's what suspense is to Truffaut and Hitchcock. He went along with this. Um, and also says a lot about suspense himself. But I think these privileged moments um, that I see all through Hitchcock's catalog um, are also found in something like Amirpour's um, work, uh, where you just feel like a like a privileged bystander. It's, mm. Yeah, it's great. Highly recommend. A girl walks home alone at night.
0: I'll have to check that out. <laughs> are you up for some quick question and answer stuff?
1: Oh, oh, boy. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is the latest thing that you've become a geek for?
1: Oh. Um, I'm really getting into craft beer. <laughs> I don't Yeah. Nice. I, I really love it. And uh, there's a pandemic on. I don't know if you've heard, but it gives me extra time to drink craft beer.
0: I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Limit limits the places you can drink craft beer though.
1: That is true, but I can drink it at home <laughs> where we are supposed to stay.
0: Is there something that people think you would be a geek for that for whatever reason you could just never get into?
1: Um Yeah. I mean I, I think as a as a film prof I'm sure you get this too where people just assume you love all movies equally. Yeah. Um so that's that's something, but I think Star Wars is maybe a thing that I am not as into as people might think. Um, I just don't. I don't hate it, but I'm I'm not into it. So yeah, that could be something.
0: What is the geekiest thing you own? You own my partner's
1: Ghostbusters partner. toys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, for for people who listen, <laughs> you probably figured out who Mandy's partner is. <laughs>
1: Shout out to Arnett. What is the
0: geekiest thing you own? Oh, the
1: geekiest thing <laughs> I own. Oh, I even thought about this one, and I think I forgot my answer. Um, <laughs> probably. Uh, oh, I mean, a whole bunch of super cool VHS tapes that other people might find are geeky. Um, I also have a lot of like. I have a foam roller. That I use for my workouts, and it's it has a prominent place in my living room, so I don't know if that's geeky. That's geeky. Um, Okay, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) yep. And I also have I just bought a new kettlebell that I'm pretty excited about, (laughs) and uh, yeah,
0: (laughs) favorite Hitchcock film.
1: Oh, the impossible question rear window.
0: It's so perfect. And I mean, so- when we were talking earlier, Margaret Lockwood has a really good introduction in Lady Vanishes, where she's standing on the table. Oh, it's amazing! It's, it's nothing compared to Grace Kelly's introduction. Like that is no n- perfection. Just, it, I don't imagine anybody could make a better introduction.
1: No. And I don't even think, I mean, I can't think of a movie that's done a similar introduction, but I don't think anybody could pull it off as well as, as Grace Kelly said that that perfect, perfect face. Amazing.
0: Where can people find you on social media? If they're looking to follow you,
1: they can find me on Twitter uh, at Mandy underscore Elliot with two L's and two T's. Um,
0: I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Mandy, thank you so much for talking. This has been so much fun. And I, oh you know, yeah pandemic, you. I, I so miss seeing you around the, the office <laughs> and having these chats.
1: I miss you too. Yeah, I pretty much yeah.
0: have created a podcast so I could keep my friends. That's, that's
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so glad you did. And I, and yeah. I'm so lucky to have been on it. So thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at geek 4 Pod or me on Twitter, at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button, and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time, when we learn what someone else is a geek for. Suspense!